You're listening to Business Lunch with Roland Fraser. This is your seat at the table. Hey everybody, Roland Fraser and Ryan Dice here with a new episode of the Business Lunch podcast and we're excited to chat today about something that we've been kind of reviewing recently, Ryan, which was the difference between a good idea and a great idea. What would you like to start with chatting about that? Yeah, I mean, specifically, I think just to give some context, when we were going and looking back over the last couple of quarters, because, you know, we do our quarterly strategic planning and things like that. And it, it's always very introspective because we set really big goals. And it's been frustrating because while we've seen growth the last couple of quarters, the growth hasn't been as much as we had projected it would be. So yes, we're growing and yes, things are generally fine, but it's not like the, the level of growth that it should have been. And, and what was tough, it's not like, it's not, it wasn't one of these things where like, oh, we had an unexpected competitor or there was another pandemic or it, there was nothing we could really blame it on. And it wasn't that people were just being lazy. And so we went back and looked, the kind of the, the singular theme that emerged was we executed a tremendous amount of really good ideas. And the realization I had was, God dang, it's not bad ideas that kill you. It's all these good ideas. Because good ideas, you know, there's been some good ideas that we've hung on to too long. There's been some other good ideas that we invested way too many resources in. And so a lot of what we're doing right now kind of is trying to figure out like, what's a better framework and process for distinguishing you know, a good idea and a great idea. Because distinguishing a, a, you know, a, a great idea from a bad idea is easy. Bad ideas are, that's why they're not that dangerous. It's clear. When you see a bad idea, you're like, that's a stupid idea. Let's not do that. But how do we effectively avoid good ideas so that we can leave room and have capacity for the, you know, for the truly great ideas? So that's kind of the big thing that we've been, you know, working on here. Happy to speak to Hey, Roland Frazier here, and I want to talk to you about an ad card. This card, created by FunnelDash, was designed for companies that spend a lot of money on ads and want to scale. Ad card's not only really simple to use for your ad spend, but it gets you a whopping 3% cash back on every ad dollar you spend. Go to FunnelDash.com forward slash ad card and schedule a call. Make sure to mention Business Lunch so you get that three times on your cash back potential. Ryan Dice here. Now, if you've ever run paid ads, you know it is not easy. You've got to create the ads, track the ads, optimize campaigns, and scale the winners while killing off the losers. Look, it is a lot of work, which is why time and time again, we turn to an agency called GrowRev to help us with our paid media campaigns. They run paid traffic for some of the biggest names in the industry from Tony Robbins to Dean Graziosi, ClickFunnels, and many, many others. And Rohan Seth, the owner of GrowRev, well, he's a great friend of ours here at Business Lunch. And because of that, he's offering Business Lunch listeners a huge freebie. Rohan's team is giving out 25 free account audits. It's no charge, no fee, and no obligation to buy anything. What they're going to do is they're going to go into your account, they're going to audit everything, and they're going to show you what you can tweak to lower your acquisition costs, increase your conversion rates, and boost your average order values. Now, this is a $500 value, and the first 25 Business Lunch listeners get it totally for free. So here's what you need to do. Go to 
getmyfreeaudit.com forward slash audit. Again, that is getmyfreeaudit.com forward slash audit and grab your free audit today. Some of the things we've figured out, but I just want like, you got any thoughts on that? Like when it comes to choosing the great over the good, is there anything like in your personal life that you deal with? Because we still got the 24 hours in a day, right? So I'm just curious if you got any systems on that. I wouldn't say in my personal because, I mean, I've, I've got my goals that I write down that I want to achieve. And and then what I've evolved to more is really focusing on what are the systems to enable me to achieve those goals as opposed to what are the goals. And then, because you can chunk your goals down, you could say, I want to read 52 books this year. And therefore, if I read one book a week, I can see if I'm achieving that. But then there's no system for how you're going to do that. Like, how, what is, how am I likely to read that book? The same thing for business is we want to make a million dollars this month. Then how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to sell stuff. Okay, but what is the system to be sure that the things that we're doing are working? So I'd say like one of the most important things would be what's the system going to be for us? I believe the challenge is not really in the green lighting because we have our growth scorecard and all the ICE analysis, the impact, confidence, ease. Is it going to pull a growth lever? All of that. And then we all sit around and say, these are the things we're going to do. So I think, and then I, I know that we say we're only going to green light these and they have to match our three big things we're going to do this, this quarter. I think one of the biggest challenges for us is that we don't have a, how do we know when to kill? the things that aren't working out like we wanted quick, because that to me is the biggest thing is, is, is like, there's only a limited number of things that you can do at any given moment. So what's your system for identifying whether they are living up to expectation quickly so that you can let them go and not hang around? What have you guys come up with? Yeah. So that was, I mean, uh, what you touched on there is, is I think a critical addition that we made this time to prevent some of that. And that is kind of the just drafting of what is the hypothesis? Like, what do we believe the impact is going to be? So you talked about ICE score, right? ICE, for those of you who don't know, ICE stands for impact, confidence, and ease, right? So something that has a high, and, and generally you're, you're scoring this on a, on a scale of like one to 10, right? So a 10 impact is like, this is going to be completely business changing, right? A 10 on confidence is we've done this a hundred times and we know we can do it again, Right. And a 10 on ease is like, this is going to be a total piece of cake. We've got the resources. We've got an abundance of resources. It's cheap. It's easy. It's fun. We can't wait to do it, right? And obviously, a one of those is going to be, you know, one of those is going to be the inverse. So that's the idea of, a, you know, of, of an ice score. The problem that we ran into is when we were doing ice scoring, you know, everything, shocker, everything that we came up with was pretty good, right? When averaged out, everything was like, yeah, it's about like a seven, you know, or eight. And so there were a couple things that I think we're adding to this framework that are really helping. Number one is looking at each one of them. So ICE, impact, confidence, ease. And what we're realizing is that to be a great idea, it needs to be ranked highly across all of those. So very often something would have a relatively high I score. And that's because it was like, oh, massive on the impact. We think it's going to be easy, but we're not really confident. That's actually a pretty high risk thing. And so a lot of things that we chose were like, oh, this is a, this is a good idea, right? Is it was high on two, but not all three. 
And so kind of the first realization, like the separation between a good idea and a great idea is it scores high across all three of them. Now, what high is for you may, may differ because some companies, some people are going to, you know, they're going to be more critical. And so maybe a high score is a seven, right? Whereas some, it might be a nine or a 10, right? So I think it's about stack ranking them. But the biggest realization we went back and looked is there were lots of things that scored high on an average ICE score. So on average, ICE were high, but we looked like, ooh, confidence wasn't really as high as we thought it, you know, it wasn't as high enough to really double down like we did, right? That was actually, it wasn't necessarily, you know, a bad idea. It was, but what, what separated from being a great idea to a good idea was that it was higher risk. So that's kind of the first thing. Do we have it across all of them? And if we don't, you're probably better off to just let that bake a bit longer. The second addition, which is what you said, is we need to clearly state a hypothesis. What do we believe will happen? And write it down, right? And it's just a simple paragraph. We believe that if we do the following, it will achieve this result. And what and was interesting- we'll know when X happens is, the, is a key to that, right? The, yes. The challenge too was that, which we identified in, in our sheet when the team came back, was that the hypotheses were- not really clearly stated. It, it was, it, I wish I had some of the examples because they were, they were really bad. And I think it's because a lot of people just gloss over the hypothesis and don't yeah. think about how important it is. But if you don't say, I think if we do, and then identify what's the very specific activity, and then say, here's the specific result we expect, and say that we'll know when this thing happens. If you don't do all three of those things very specifically, then you just have these general things that don't really tell you that much, right? Yeah. And it's like, if we do this, then conversion rates will go up. If we do this, then sales will go up. Yeah, we'll have There's more no sales. Mention of we'll a hit a million dollars this month. Right. There's no mention of a specific number that that will generate. Nor We'll get more point. leads. I think it was one of them that was yeah. in there. It was that we think if we do this, we'll get more leads. It's like, come cool. on, you know. Like two more, three more. Right. But the other thing is that timeline. When is it going to happen by? So if the difference between a good idea and a great idea is very often confidence, like how, how much do we actually know? And when you're putting this vague stuff from a number, usually it means you don't actually know. You have faux confidence. The other piece though is when will this happen? And we didn't do that on a lot of them. And there was one, I don't want to mention the specific project right now. We will talk about this on a future podcast episode. It's just still a little bit too fresh. And frankly, there's there's some things that we're, let's say loose ends we're trying to tie up right now that I want to make sure we tie up before we talk about it. But there's a particular project that we've invested a couple million dollars in. I mean, and you know it, Roland, I mean, it was, it was kind of my, like my baby. It was something that I was really working on, really excited about championing for a while. And because we never said, this is what it should get and it should do it by this time. It was just allowed because, and this is a biggie, it was a good idea. Right? Nobody would look, even retrospectively, you wouldn't look back and be like, that was a terrible idea. It's like, no, it was a good idea. So I think acknowledging right, that it's not the bad ideas that kill you, it's the merely good ideas. If you can just remember that and you get that takeaway, it's important. So now how do we do that? I believe the I-score is helpful, but make sure that it's high across all three of them. When you're doing I-scoring, make sure that's not just one person doing it, do it as a group, and that every person who's going to be involved in that initiative is there. Because there were some things that got greenlit with like a really high ease, but it was like stuff that I was going to have to do. I was like, that's not easy. That's freaking hard. And I don't want to do that. So make sure that everybody who's going to be involved is there. Do it as a group. Have people do their scoring essentially in silence so that nobody is you know, biasing anybody else. 
it's a good way to do it. But I, I think also just making sure just because you have the capacity doesn't mean you have to take on the project. If it's not a great idea yet, let it bake. <laughs> you know, if you've got the capacity, it's going to get filled by something great. And also great ideas, you know, when the result is going to happen. So I think that was our biggest takeaway. And it was frustrating that it cost us a couple million dollars to figure it out. But I think now that we have a framework and just, just a, a nomenclature, like a word to give it, right? Is this a great idea or is this merely a good idea? Just that I think is going to be helpful. I like it. Cool. The other thing that I was thinking about, I really enjoyed. Have you read uh, Naval Ravikant's? It's, I guess it's not his, but it's called the Navalmanac. <laughs> yeah, Navalmanac. It's yeah, a guy went and took basically all of his tweets, which are pretty brilliant, and he basically wrote a book around them. Right, like organized them and all this. So yeah, it and, it, and it's free, and, which is yeah. nice. It's a, there's a free PDF. It wasn't done to make money. It was done. You can buy it on Amazon because they charge for stuff there. But basically, it, you can go and and just Google it. But he has a whole bunch of interesting things in there. And one of the ones that I thought really affects us because we were talking about comp recently is this principal versus agency thing. Principal versus agent. How do you get your people who are your employees to think like owners? How, how do you get the entrepreneur mindset instilled in them a little bit? And it's really interesting because I've had this as a challenge even with business partners who still think like employees, even though they are owners. And so they talk about Are you talking about me like talk. while I'm in the room right now? Is that, <laughs> is that, is that what's happening? <laughs> but I, was, I thought it was interesting because obviously the more the theory here, and, and I think it merits, it, it works out, is that the more that we can cause the people who are in the company as employees who are not owners to have an owner's mindset, to think like owners, to do the things owners would do, versus thinking about things like an employee, then the more aligned we are all, we all are towards achieving the things that, that we as owners want to achieve. So you can do that with comp, you can do that with phantom equity and profit participations and things like that. I just wanted to see what, if you had any thoughts about that generally. I don't know, man. I think maybe I'm a little bit cynical on this, but I kind of think that there are it is a, it's a spectrum, right? And on one end of the spectrum, you've got the just, you know, the crazy serial entrepreneur always starting something new, you know, as soon as frankly, you know, any business gets any type of, you know, system and kind of the invention of those early days are gone, they're on to the next thing, right? Which that can actually be destructive in its own right. And then on the other end is the person who just wants to go and get a government job and you know, clock in, clock out, never think about it, right? So I, I agree that there's a spectrum, but I don't think that there's as many people in the middle as, you know, we might want to think as entrepreneurs. I think that there's a lot of people who say that they want to be kind of treated like an owner and treated like an entrepreneur, but they don't know what comes with that. Uh, they don't know that like, fine, if you want to stake in the upside, that means that you also, you know, my thing is always, you want to be a partner in the upside, you got to be a partner in the downside. Right. So you want variable comp, that's okay, but I'm, we're not going to pay you a salary that's at market rate. And then also put variable comp on top of that so that you can make even more, right? If you're saying like, I want to be treated like an owner, then, then be like me, which is if there's no money, we get nothing. And if there's a lot, then we get more. And so I don't know, I guess I've heard like lots of people talking about, oh, everybody should be on variable. Everybody should own stock. 
I haven't really experienced that creating. Like I haven't seen a comp plan create that mentality. I think there are people who have it. And if you don't offer those people who are those intrapreneurial types, if you don't offer them that incentive, they will leave. But I don't think it's causational. I guess what I'm saying, I don't think that it will create that mindset. I think there's people who have it, they need to be compensated as such. I think there's people who don't. And really, you're kind of bad for everybody to do it, to pay them as though they are an owner or to even expect that of them. Because I don't think they expect it of you. Yeah. I don't know. You think I'm being too cynical? No, I think that it goes, it has to go beyond money because we are in this for the money, but we are in it for really the freedom that money gives us to do things, the ability to set our own hours to be our own bosses is really important for us. I don't think either you or I want somebody telling us what to do. So I think part of it is looking as you are interviewing somebody who is going to be part of the company to start with, to find somebody who is a person who takes ownership of things. And so I think you can ask them questions and see if they are a person who feels that they are kind of in the stream of things being that their lives are not really their own to start with, that they're not taking ownership of anything. So it's a responsibility thing. First and foremost, you need somebody who gets responsibility and takes ownership of their time, their success, what's happening in their lives, those kinds of things. And if you can, if you can get those people in, then it's what can they become invested in? Because I think... Hey, Business Lunch listeners. I've been running my own business since I was 17, and I found that nothing slows down entrepreneurs more than this one pesky question, and that's what do I do next? And left unanswered, you find yourself stuck far below your potential, jumping from one shiny object to the next, perpetually wondering why other businesses are growing and yours is stuck. So that's why Scalable has put together the seven levels of scale framework. We'll give you the shortest path possible to go from a struggling startup to a high profit, high impact, exitable business that'll give you the wealth and freedom you deserve. So stop wondering what to do next and take our free three-minute assessment today at getscalable.com download. And you can download a free guide to show you what level of scale you're currently at and how you can scale quickly and profitably to the next. Money's a very small ultimate component of that. So what can they become invested in, which goes to a lot of the things that are trending right now and what they say, you know, millennials are very focused on why am I here and what's the good? And and that I think is the thing that drives that that whole great resignation thing is that there are things that we all want that we would be vested in the success of the entity that is propelling us towards those things more if more of those things were there. So what are those things? Well, work at home is, to me, a great example. An owner can work at home as long as the owner gets things done. An employee is supposed to come to the office and put in nine to five with you know a lunch hour and two 30-minute breaks, and that's, that's the, what the world says they get, kind of, sort of, depending on where you are. But so I think that's it, is why are we doing this? Can we get buy-in to the why our company exists? What are the benefits to me that I, as an owner, would want that are beyond money? Obviously, I would like to have a share in the success of the company financially, but also I want the ability to move, to make my own decisions, to move up, to have control of these bits, to not be micromanaged, all of those things and to be part of something that is going to be fulfilling in some way. So I think it goes to 
like if you really want to get outside of somebody just thinking about what's in it for me versus what's in it for the overall company, that's what an owner typically does, a good owner. And the owner even sometimes will say, I know, and you and I have this conversation, right? I know that we should leave this much money in the company, but I want to take this much money out, but I'm going to leave this much money in the company because that's the right thing to do for the company. I know that doing this extra thing that increases our cost of goods sold by 10% is going to mean that we make less money, but it's going to mean a greater customer experience, which ultimately will mean that we have more customers referring and staying, which means we make more money in the long run. That's Those are the decisions we want people to make, right? So, so yeah. how do we create the incentives for them to do that? What do you think and about I, that? And I guess what I'm saying is I would maybe change the sequence. So to me, it's I want to see some of those in little ways, like see some of these like micro commitment, like micro ownership type things. Mm-hmm. And then the incentives would follow. Hey, I see that you're this type of person. So let's put you on this track. I just think there's two tracks within an entrepreneurial type organization. Because I mean, look, if you go and work for a big company, you're not going to have this type of entrepreneurial opportunity. You're going to get on a career path and you're going to follow that. You're going to bounce around. But if you're working in a smaller business, an entrepreneurial business, in most of them, if it's still owner-operated, like founder-run kind of thing, they're going to look for the people who are like them. And they're going to look for those people and to give them opportunities to be entrepreneurial, to be able to run a little piece of the action and hopefully participate in it. I guess my thing is trying to, if you, if you say, we're going to create this incentive and this opportunity, everybody goes for it if there's any benefit, including those people who don't actually want it. So I just I would just change up the order. Like we had a guy who works for us. I'm not gonna give his name, although I'm complimenting him, but I didn't get permission. But you know, we had a promotion and it was actually one of our email newsletters. And some people were out of town. It was a little bit late getting it. And I know Richard was like, hey, I don't want y'all to have to like work over the weekend, so I'll get it done. And he was like, No, you know, I got it. Like this is my job. It's not that big a deal. Now, there's a difference. Like we don't encourage people to work nights and weekends and anything like that. We want them to have a life. But seeing that he was willing to step up and do that and to take that ownership because he said, like, this is the right thing for the company, that's like, oh, okay, that's ownership thinking, right? And now somebody who's like, I'm always working nights and weekends, that's just somebody who's a martyr, somebody who's like angling, like, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. But somebody who said like, no, no. And, and probably horribly inefficient. <laughs> right. Also. Yeah, exactly. But somebody who said like, no, no, I'm, I'm not planning to make a habit of this. I know you're not either, but like, this is the right thing for the company and the customer. I got it. That's what I'm looking for. So people like that, to me, they occupy a different category in my mind and in the company where if there's an opportunity to take something on that does have a bit more ownership, a bigger ownership aspect, like that's the kind of people that we're going to encourage to go for it. As opposed to just, hey, everybody at the company, here's this opportunity to do it. But I also agree with you. I'm thinking a lot in terms of compensation. I do think that if you build a general culture around things like, you know, we actually care about our mission and vision because all entrepreneurial companies are started because a founder really cared about something and wanted to make it happen, right? So if you can bake that in, well, that's going to attract people who have more of an ownership mindset. If you can have more autonomy within the role, that's going to naturally attract people. So I see what you're saying. There's things like that that you can do, whether it is being more mission-focused more flexible in work hours and work location, maybe the opportunity to take on certain projects, you know, in addition to, and to get a stake in those. 
like little things like that to give people who want to take that path a chance to kind of raise their hand and say, hey, I want a shot at it, or I can function within this. I would just say the comp side needs to come after they've proven it. I agree 100%. And, and I think that that's one good thing about having a like a probationary period or a trial period where you could perhaps, and, and I don't know because I'm not on the HR side of, of interviewing, but I'm guessing that there are some tests that probably exist that would help you to sort psychologically people who tend to think who take ownership of things because people who take ownership of things are going to think like an owner by definition, right? So how do we find those people in our screening as we're interviewing and, and, and bringing them in? And then can we create situations where we'll see before we make a permanent hire decision during a probationary period, can we give them some tasks and see if we create situations where they have the opportunity to take ownership or not and see if they're an agent versus versus not an agent. I like there was a quote in that book. I think I think it was in that book that was that said something like Julius Caesar said, "If you want it done, go. If not, send." <laughs> it was like that's pretty cool, but if we're stuck in that that's a don't scale position, right? If you can't trust, if you have to be the person that goes, then and it's, it's to be sure that it's going to get done, then you don't ultimately scale. So so I think those little bits screen, create a few test case situations. Then if you see, bring them in, have some period of time go by and then create incentive compensation that would be appealing to an owner. Maybe that's like a four-step kind of way to think about it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I think that's good because I think what what you brought in at the end is this idea of trust. Because somebody could come in with like, I've got this ownership mentality, but we've seen people who are like, yeah, I just really want to take on something and own it. And it's real, like they want it, but they don't actually have total competency in that area. And so they just look like a bully and a bulldozer. Or, and, or they're told know. that, like people just told them, oh, you should, you definitely got to get equity. Or, yeah. or what you, you and I, I know we get frustrated by this is we'll, we'll be bringing somebody into a company. And it's like, well, you know, you got to give them equity. It's like, no, why? Because just because that's what everybody does, which a lot of people do that, but that just seems crazy to me. You, that's equity is earned, like yeah. trust. And, but even on the, on the variable comp side, or even just in giving somebody the opportunity to take ownership of a project or take ownership of a team, like you need to make sure that it's not merely the motivated, because we made this mistake. Somebody's like very motivated and they're asking for it. And so we give them what they asked for. And it can be, if you're not careful, like throwing the keys you know, to a Ferrari, to a 15-year-old who just got their learner's permit, right? right? That's not fair. It's not fair to them. So you need right. to say, I know you want this opportunity, but let's give you a chance to kind of test it out in this role. So I know one thing that we will do is we'll say, all right, you want this opportunity. On paper, you do not qualify for this opportunity, but I know you want to take ownership and we want it for you. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to start doing some of this role. Right? We're going to pick some things for them to do. We're going to ask you to lead this project and do this thing. We're going to make it known. We're not changing your role. We're not changing your title. We're not paying you any more money. And this is so that if you fail, you can go right back to where you were before. Because right. if we roll out the red carpet and the trumpets and we pronounce you as the new person who's guiding this initiative and how important this is and you fail, there's nowhere to go but out the door. And we don't want to do that. That's the Peter principle, right? That's the concept that good, motivated people will be promoted to the level of their own incompetency. They'll ultimately fail and be gone. So we talk about this with our folks. We say, I know this seems frustrating, 
I know it sounds like that we're going to ask you to do more work without any more pay, because that's exactly what we're doing. We're going to give you more work with no more pay, but what you're getting is opportunity. And what I'll tell you is that ownership-minded people hear that and they go, I got it. That makes sense. So I need to do the work and then I get paid? Well, that's what it's called to be an entrepreneur, right? You do the work and then you get paid. And if you fail, you don't get paid, right? It's really, really, really simple. So I think injecting that into your process where you say, we're going to give you an opportunity to do it if it fails miserably or heck, we've had cases where people are like, I thought I wanted this. I don't want this. This is terrible. Great. Go (laughs) right back into where you were. I was told I should want this. Turns out I don't. (laughs) And we've had that, right? We've had that. So I think being able to give somebody that opportunity while they still have a safety net and can quietly return to where they were before is one of the things that you should look to do as an entrepreneurial company. If you want to build this ownership mentality, but do it in a way where you're not going to burn your people out or, you know, have them fail publicly, spectacularly in such a way that they can't recover. Yeah, I like it. Awesome. Is there anything going on that we want to mention before we uh, sign off for this time? We, so I don't know about the time people hear this. I, I think that the next cohort of the Scalable Operating System Accelerator may or may not have already begun. So depending on when you hear this, um, but it will be early enough that if you want to kind of sneak in, certainly go to uh, scalable.co and check out our accelerators page and you know, maybe go and apply, get on the waiting list. And if you say that, hey, I heard about it on the podcast, we might be able to sneak you in late. And then you and I just started working on what is going to be kind of the third flagship accelerator. You want to talk about that at all? Yeah, I I was trying to think if, because we had a two and a half hour call yesterday, I literally had enough time to leave my house, drive 30 minutes down the road to a place to pick up lunch, had lunch there while waiting for the lunch, drove back and we were still on the phone for like an hour after that. And I was trying to think if there was anything in how we work together, this would be for a future podcast, but it might be interesting to talk about because I think that process, we work well iterating something together. The thing that we iterated this time was really on our, did we end up with scalable impact? I think that's what yeah. we came back to, yeah, right? Scalable we changed impact the name like 20 times while yeah. we were talking and came back to scalable impact. And I don't have in front of me the, the different elements of it. If you want to mention the ones we came up with, I think we ended up with SPV and then we had three or four things under each one. Is that where we were? Yeah. I mean, basically the, you know, the idea is because, I mean, the way that we've broken down our accelerators at the scalable company is we have the scalable growth accelerator. That's all about achieving that initial period of growth, ideally getting you from like six to seven figures. In, I actually in like that. We, we evolved the, the three elements of that, the three pillars of that, which I think is cool to share. Yeah. You want to share those? I don't want to share those right. I'll share those in because that, frankly, because I just don't have it in front of me right now. But I think from a general perspective, like this idea that the entrepreneurial journey happens in stages. And usually what it looks like is you have this period of growth. Like, if it, you know, there's after the launch, like lots of times we start stuff and it doesn't work. But assuming it works and you get that initial growth period, right, that's a lot of fun and that's great. But what most successful entrepreneurs have figured out is that growth is not enough. At some point, you can grow yourself to death. At some point, you know, the duct tape and bubble gum that's holding all your systems together starts to, to fall apart. And so that's where kind of our second flagship program, which is the scalable operating system um, accelerator, helps you to install that operating system so that you can build up that capacity for additional scale. So that's the one that we just launched. So you've got scalable growth, you've got scalable systems, the scalable operating system, and then you're ready to achieve what we refer to as scalable impact. And that's 
you know, being able to grow a business to eight, nine figures and beyond, but particularly one that is both exitable, meaning it's not relying upon you. You have the ability to exit, although you're not required to do it. Exitable companies are the most fun to run. When somebody could buy it, you don't want to sell it. That's the best, but it's exitable and it's achieving that whatever your version of impact is. That could be impact for you personally, you know, your family, maybe you want to run. I mean, I know a guy who the impact that he wants to achieve for his business is just paying his people a lot of money, right? His people are getting a lot of money and a lot of freedom. So like his whole team, they make, they all make really good money and they only work like, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week. It is an entire business where, yes, it delivers value to the customers, but it is an entirely employee centric business. It's crazy. There's not a lot of them, but he's got one and it's all just, I want my employees to be super happy and deliver this amazing work experience. It's kind of like an experiment in that. Like, so that or impact on, you know, in your little corner of the universe. So this idea of impact, I think is great. The problem is, is so many people want to pursue impact before they've ever made a sale. We deal with this. Like somebody's got this idea for a startup and this company they want to, you know, they want to begin. It's like, I just want to make an impact on the universe and do all this and help these people. It's like, how many of you sold? Well, none yet. Like, God dang, dude, you <laughs> need to focus on I've sold growth. <laughs> right. You focus on growth. You're trying to be like Richard Branson, you know, going out to outer space and, you know, you got nothing. Like you don't have even like a model rocket, right? So let's focus on growth because if you don't have customers, you got nothing. You are incapable of helping anybody. Get you some customers, then get an operating system that can sustain your growth. Then you can go for impact. So I'm excited because it's kind of like, I feel like the third piece of the trilogy, you know, the third piece of kind of the, the holy trinity of scale is coming together. And so that is going to be kicking off. We're going to open that up in just a couple of weeks. So definitely, if you're not subscribed to the Scalable Memo, definitely go over to scalable.co, get subscribed. You're going to want to, you're going to want to see what's going on there. So long-winded pitch, but I hope everybody got, you know, I hope you at least learned something from the idea of those stages. I think that's really important. Love it. And don't forget, if you enjoy what we're doing here, we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast and we would love for you to leave us a review if you love it. And if you don't, then let us know how we can make it better. That's, I think that's it for today. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks everybody. We will see you next time on Business Lunch. You've been listening to Business Lunch with Roland Frazier. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by subscribing and leaving a review. And for more information, go to businesslunchpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. What if three days could change the course of your business in 2023? Get Scalable Live is where you'll gain great clarity on the next steps that will help you create the business, life, and wealth you deserve. Connect with business owners and entrepreneurs just like you, hungry for advice, proven strategies, and necessary connections to grow a business. Literally, million-dollar conversations are happening in the hallways, in the bathrooms, across tables. Get Scalable Live at Fairmont Austin, November 2nd through 4th. Tickets are on sale now at GetScalableLive.com.